We are jumping back into our teaching series on the book of Acts. And we are, where we are in the book of Acts, at the end of chapter 11, heading into chapter 12. And what we've seen is some amazing, amazing things. The Holy Spirit has entered into this, this group of people, the disciples and the apostles, and has begun to transform them as individuals. And as they become transformed as individuals, the Holy Spirit is using them to break through all kinds of barriers, social, political, religious, all kinds of barriers. So while the, the church is literally experiencing exponential growth, it is simultaneously experiencing crushing, crushing setbacks. And as much as we can learn from the things that the early church did well and the celebrations that they had, we could also learn a ton from um, the hardships and the struggles that they endure. So we're at the end of chapter 11, as I said, and at this point in time, a famine is about to happen in Jerusalem. And also, simultaneously, the persecution that started when uh, Stephen was executed back in Acts 7 and 8, it kind of, we don't, Luke doesn't really capture the details of what happens between that time and where we're at right now. But where we're at right now is it, it reaches a new height and it turns deadly. So we're going to, uh, our text today is Acts beginning in uh, chapter 11, verse 26, 27, 27. And I'm going to read to you through 12, 5 right now. Here we go. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. I love when the biblical authors do this, when they put in, when we can tie history to the events of the Bible and um, just gives us that much more confidence in, in, the, in the word of God. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So one thing that, we, that jumps out right away is that there's no really, nobody stopped and asked why. There wasn't a, well, why, why, God, why a famine? Or, God, why a persecution? Or, why all these things happening at the same time? Does that sound familiar? Like, like it might be going on right now? Um, they didn't stop and ask why. I'm sure it might have happened, but what Luke wanted us to know was what they did. They, they, concentrated, they identified those who were the most vulnerable, and then they figured out what they were going to do about it. So instead of asking why, they asked who, and they asked what. And in the case of the famine, it was the believers who were in Jerusalem who were the most vulnerable. And they were the most vulnerable because of the persecution there. Many of them had been kicked out of their families. They had been kicked out of their synagogues, their support networks were just broken down. And then a famine gets layered on top of that. So they wanted to take care of them. So they sent a financial gift. The who were the believers in Jerusalem. The what was the financial gift. Jump to this, the persecution that's about to take place. And the person who's most vulnerable right now is Peter. And what the church decides to do 
is to pray earnestly. And that's where we're going to spend our time today, is looking at how the early church prayed in the midst of a crisis. So um, a couple things that we want to we wanna take note of. So somebody, as I was reading and studying this, somebody said um, James's mother probably wasn't a big fan of this passage. Because it just says James was put to death with the sword and nothing else. It doesn't say that the church was earnestly, earnestly praying for them. But I think if we look at the track record of the early church, one commentator said that they were habitual prayers. I think it's safe to say that they were praying for James. When James was seized by, by King Agrippa, they were praying for him. And yet he was still put to death by the sword. He was decapitated. When that, that phrase, put to death, means that he was decapitated. Um, so they didn't get the, I'm imagining they didn't get the answer that they were looking for. They were hoping that, that James would be, would be freed. And sometimes when we pray, we look at the answer from our human perspective. And we got to remember that the perspective of God is not, is not like ours. A pastor who was writing on this passage said that both, as we're going to read later, Peter, I'm going to spoil the ending for you, Peter ends up being freed from, uh, from jail. But James was delivered through death. Peter was delivered from death, right? In the Christian life, death is passing from eter the eternal life that we have here and now with Jesus into the next phase of that life. And hard as it may be, the grief that his family and his friends suffered, James was better off in, in heaven with Jesus in that instant. So the, their prayers were answered differently. It's kind of how I'd captured that probably than they would, they would have hoped. It's another way of saying that we have to, we can't close our eyes to the way God might choose to answer a prayer. Along those same lines, they were undeterred in, in their prayers. They asked God to save James. And yet, in God's reason and in God's timing, he, he didn't. But as we read on, it says they prayed earnestly. Some translations say constantly. Some translations say fervently. They were undeterred in their prayers. As a matter of fact, it, it almost seems like they doubled down on their praying. Instead of saying, oh, God doesn't listen. They got more intense and they prayed harder. They were undeterred in their prayers in a moment of crisis, regardless of what was going on around them. And I think in large part, it's because they were focused on who they were praying to and not the circumstances. Because so, so much we get caught up in the answers to our prayers rather than in who we're praying to. And because that's the key. We focus on who we're praying to and his character and what he is capable of. His job is results. Our job is, is obedience. And the last thing I want to point out about this uh, first section this, of the text we're looking at is they prayed earnestly. So the, um, we look at the, the original Greek for that. It's a medical term. And it actually means their muscle, your muscles are being strained to the limit, just pulled to the absolute limit. It's kind of a combination of this idea of persevering and, and just increased intensity. So if any of you are like fitness whatsoever, think about how fast you would try to run, to run a 100-meter dash. And extrapolate that over a mile, right? That, that's like, it's the 
the intensity, right, of the sprint tied in to the perseverance of the distance kind of thing. That's how they were praying. And man, did that hit me right between the eyes this week, you guys. That that was, as I was preparing for this message and just the circumstances of my life were going on around me, that is what God just, like, smacked me in the head with, is that this is where I need to step up my game, to pray earnestly, to pray to the point of my, my muscles being stretched to the, to, the very, to the very end. All right, we're going to read a little bit more of the text, and we're going to talk a little bit more about how the early church prayed. So we're picking this up. This is Acts chapter 12, verse 6. So Peter is in, Peter is in jail. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards, and they came to the iron gates leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You are out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. So, um, just the first point I want to make is just kind of humorously, and I don't know if this is like I'm just a little twisted, but the image, like the original language of the angel struck Peter, it's like he tagged him. He like really hit him. The, the word picture is like somebody getting caught in a, with a real shot in a fight. And Peter is there sound asleep between two guards and another two guards of the world's most elite fighting force, sound asleep in the midst of that, knowing the next day that he's going to be, he could probably be, be killed. And he's just sound asleep. So much so that the angel had to strike him. I, I don't know. I just I found that amusing. Anyway, we move on. So as again, we're thinking about how the early church prayed. And I captured this as they prayed without enough expectancy. Right? These guys were praying. Remember, they're praying earnestly. They're praying at the end of their prayer muscles. They're just stretching their they're praying with everything that they know how to pray. And yet, when the answer to their prayer shows up, they don't believe it. Peter knocks on the door. And that's another funny thing, by the way, that Rhoda just leaves him there at the door. She doesn't open the door for him. She's, he knocks on the door and just leaves him there. Um, he knocks on the door, and they, they, don't, they don't believe it. Uh, one commentator said about this passage that, oh, man, what a prayer meeting that must have been. They must have been praying so hard that they couldn't even recognize the, the answer to their prayers right in front of them. That's, that's one way of looking at it. I mean, you can call me cynical, but look at the disciples' kind of track record. Um, my guess is, is that they 
their expectations weren't, weren't high enough, right? They, didn't, they were putting their answers to God's prayers, or their, sorry, God's answers to their prayers in a box, and they didn't expect enough. When we pray, we need to pray with a sense of expectancy. And again, that's based on who we're praying to. The God of the universe holds the universe in the palm of his hand. He's kind and gracious and good and gentle and loving and ferocious and fierce. All of that all at once. And that's who we're praying to. And when we pray, that should shape our expectations. They prayed without their leaders. So I don't know if, if you picked up on this as, as I read through it. But Peter told them his story. And then he said, go and tell James and the, and the others, right, that they would know. So James, the brother of John, was murdered. Peter was imprisoned. The other James, the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, who goes on, we'll learn in a few chapters, to become the leader of the Jerusalem church, he wasn't there. The people got together on their own and they prayed. When they were together, they prayed. They got together intentionally to pray. It's what they did. It was a matter of habit. It's just, it came out of who they were. They prayed without their leaders. It didn't have to be officially sanctioned. It didn't have to be on crossroadct.info. They just did it. That's what they did when they were together. They, they prayed. And so I want to, I used the phrase before, habitual prayers, that another um, scholar put forth. And I, that's what I want for us. I want us to become habitual prayers. We pray when things are good. We pray when things are bad. We pray for guidance. We pray for direction. We pray when we're excited. We pray when we're scared. That we would just be people of, of prayer. And so how do, we, how do we go about doing that? And first, I want to give you a little piece of, of encouragement. Um, Marie Mitchell, who has been at Crossroads for a couple of years, just recently celebrated kind of a big milestone in her walk with Jesus. She had a thousand straight days of time in the Word of God. That is like a huge deal. And it's, it's a, a habit that has transformed her life, that has changed who she is as a person, who she is as a teacher, as a, as a mom, as a wife, as a friend. And it's changed her into the woman that God created her to be. So when we think of things like spiritual disciplines, like Bible reading, it's not like for people who are cloistered away in monasteries, or that's not for me, or it's unattainable. Everyday people are able to become the person they were created to be through these disciplines, through things like Bible reading, and again, like becoming a habitual prayer. So you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's it's just, I'm not, that's not me. I try, I fall asleep, I feel like God doesn't hear me, I feel like I'm talking to the ceiling. If we are to look at prayer as one more thing to do, we don't have the will to make that happen, right? What we want to do is we want to become the kind of person who prays, that that's just who we are. It just, that's our response to things. And the way we become the kind of people who simply pray is that we have to attach ourselves to Jesus, like we talked about during our Disrupted by Peace series. When we attach ourselves to Jesus before anything and anyone else, right, he fills us and out of the overflow of that, we're drawn into this desire to have an ongoing conversation with him. We want to become the kind of people who pray. So, 
praying is like the other spiritual disciplines in this. Unto itself, um, it's worthless, right? And before you call me blasphemous, hear me out. Unless our prayers, unless our Bible reading, unless our giving, unless whatever, unless its focal point is Jesus, then it doesn't matter. Okay, so that's one way in which prayer is like all the other disciplines. The other way is this, is that not only prayer and the other disciplines, they're good for us, they're for our benefit, they draw us closer to God, they transform us into the likeness of Jesus, they're also an act of worship. Last week, we practiced stillness. And when we practice stillness, it's an act of worship because it recognizes who God is. God is in control. We don't have to run the world. We're stopping, we're being still. God's got it. When we read the Bible, we acknowledge that God spoke. God still speaks. We acknowledge that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. When we give, it's an act of worship because we give and we say that God is the God of abundance and not scarcity. He is the, the resources of the universe at his disposal, and there's more where that came from. And when we pray, we come before God, we recognize God as a relational being. He exists in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are made in his image, and as we approach him in prayer, we acknowledge that desire for a relationship with us. When we approach him in prayer, we acknowledge him as the supplier of all of our needs, and we acknowledge his desire to meet those needs. Prayer is like the other spiritual disciplines. Okay, and I just, I want to wrap up with a couple of practical, like, okay, how do I do this? How do I pray? How do I move my life of prayer to the next level? And I want to give you just a couple of practical things. First one is this. God has given us this gift of the Bible. And the Bible is full of prayers. Pray the scriptures. Go to the book of Psalms. Pray the Psalms. Go to um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. When the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? That's what he told them. Matthew 6. Um, verses 9 through 13. We are in the book of Acts, so I thought I would share with you um, this acronym that often gets used to provide a framework to think about how you would pray. And it's four words. Some of them sound kind of churchy. They, we don't really use them, but they're, they're helpful here. The first one is adoration, right? The letter A, adoration. We would tell God how we feel about him. It's, it's we express our affection for God in our words. That's the first part of prayer, adoration. Confession, we tell God about those things that we've done that have hurt him, hurt others, where we've fallen short of what he would have for us. The T in Acts, A-C-T, is for thanksgiving. We come before God in the sense of gratitude for everything that he's done for us, starting with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which makes it possible for us to approach him in prayer. And finally, A-C-T-S, S is for supplication, just a fancy way to ask God for stuff, to ask God for provision or blessing, what, whatever it might be, for somebody else, for healing. A-C-T-S, a little bit of a framework in which we can use to pray. Uh, another idea is to journal. I keep my prayer journal in my Evernote, and it's just kind of like this ongoing dialogue that I have with God. Every day I try to record a few things that I'm grateful for, and um, I express some of the things that I'm feeling, maybe that I'm struggling with, and then the people that I want to remember before God in prayer. So a journal is a great way to participate in prayer. Some people keep a prayer list. 
And I think that's a great idea, but I want to encourage you not to neglect two aspects of that prayer list, right? Typically we say, you know, so-and-so needs a job, so-and-so needs healing. But please, please, please remember to include those things in that list for which you are thankful and to remember to go back and to star or put a date the prayers when God answers them and how he, how he answers them. So really, that was a really quick, just some suggestions about how we might begin to pray like the early church. And just like we did last week with stillness, we're going to take some time now to enter into a time of prayer. And we're going to start that, and I'm going to follow the ACTS format, and I'm going to lead us through it. And we're going to start, I'm going to read some scripture that just calls out the attributes of God. It's another great way to pray. If you don't, if you're struggling, even just think about, sometimes we've done this in groups of prayer, just go through it alphabetically, right? Think about an attribute of God that starts with a, God, you're awesome, God, you're beautiful, and go, go on from there. Um, and then I will guide us through each part of that. There's going to be a video, just like a really cool video that, um, that Ben put together and made available for us. So if um, you can just focus on that, and I will guide us through each step. And I would encourage you, wherever you are participating, to hop in the chat and just pray through the chat, right? You can just put them down in the chat, write them down on a piece of paper, but I would encourage you to participate as we move along through this. To the Father who is in control, through Jesus who made it possible to approach him through, the, through his life, death, and resurrection, and in the Spirit who knows the mind of God, who resides within us and tells us what and when to pray, Lord, we ask that you would hear our prayers now. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. book of Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. And from Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I would encourage you now just to add your own thoughts of worship and adoration for our awesome God. appropriate that we start with words of worship and adoration and then move on to confession so in the quietness of your heart and mind I don't this is not to be put in the chat this is between you and God that you would lay out those things that you've done that you know fall short of his glory things that you might have thought or said or did 
Maybe it was something you left undone. God is gracious and compassionate. And he does forgive us. We have his assurance that if we confess, he is faithful and he will forgive us of our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we come to, now, come to you now and we say thank you for all the ways that you bless us and care for us and lavish your love upon us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your perfect life. God, you showed us how to live this human existence. Thank you, Jesus. Please feel free to, to enter those prayers of thanksgiving into the chat. God, you are so good. You are so kind, God. And thank you for the community of Crossroads. We thank you for our brothers and sisters who pray with us and for us regularly, God, who show us, who provide an example and an inspiration to walk with you. God, we thank you for the work that you are doing in each person. We thank you that you are always at work. And now, Father, we turn to you and we present our needs before you. God, the needs of our world are great. We need your healing hand. Father, we need you to heal our hearts. God, would you bring um, justice to those who have been oppressed for so, so long? God, would you heal hearts and minds? God, would you restore families? would you provide for those who are unemployed or underemployed? Father, there are so many needs. But as we sang in that song, we are not overwhelmed. Because you know what's best for us and your timing is perfect, God. So we trust in you. We keep our eyes fixed on you. knowing that you hear and answer every prayer. God, grow the sense of expectancy in us when we pray. Father, we believe, help us in our unbelief. And now, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Amen.